So you know the uh, format uh, we'll be following. I'll uh, begin with opening remarks, then I'll pass over to Dr. German, and then uh, I'll provide closing remarks, and then I'll be providing a brief uh, video screening for you. Uh, and then we will do a Q&A. Uh, my name is David Eby. I'm the Attorney General for British Columbia. And I'd like to begin by acknowledging we're on the uh, traditional territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh people. Thank you very much for joining us uh, here today. Um, before I get started into uh, the, the subject matter formally of today's press conference, I wanted to take a second to recognize uh, the fact that we wouldn't be here today uh, without the work of a number of journalists. Some of you are here in this room. Some of you are uh, following remotely. There are a couple people I'm going to name specifically, but, uh, but it's not exclusively those journalists. Uh, many, many outlets uh, raised these issues uh, over the years. Um, specifically, I'd like to begin, of course, by recognizing Sam Cooper uh, and his work on this file over many years, um, and uh, also Kathy Tomlinson, who recently uh, built on Mr. Cooper's work connecting uh, issues to the real estate market and raising to the public's and to government's attention uh, the serious issues uh, that we face as well in the real estate market. Um, thanks to Dr. German's work, I can say now with absolute certainty that uh, money laundering, criminal money laundering, is taking place in BC's casinos, and it has to stop. Uh, it's a serious crime with serious consequences for the people in British Columbia. Thanks to Dr. Peter Sherman's work, I can tell you that it is tied to the opioid crisis. It's taken thousands of people from their families. It's linked to uh, the real estate market and housing prices that have made life unaffordable for British Columbians. And uh, it was last September that I asked uh, Dr. German to come in and tell us exactly what was happening in BC casinos and to look at broader issues in our economy related to money laundering. And there was a very specific reason why I asked uh, Dr. German to take on this work. He has an impeccable reputation. He served as a member of the RCMP for 31 years. He's also a lawyer. He's a member of the Ontario and the BC bars. He's Queen's counsel uh, and he's a doctor. He has a doctorate in law. His uh, background, combined with his experience researching this issue for his book, Proceeds of Crime and Money Laundering, which is the leading Canadian textbook on anti-money laundering law, make him uniquely suitable to take on this critically important task on behalf of the province of British Columbia. Dr. German wrote this report independently of government and delivered it on time last March. Um, although it was delivered privately to government, it was always our intention to share this report with the public. For that reason, uh, the version that we received on March 31st needed to be reviewed for a couple of different concerns. Law enforcement concerns to ensure that the release of the report wouldn't compromise ongoing police investigations, and privacy concerns so that individuals who were identifiable in the report had an opportunity to respond to issues that were raised. As an independent reviewer, it was at all times within Dr. German's absolute discretion as to the content of his report. Dr. German did agree to take some steps to address the privacy of individuals who are identifiable in his original report. And we are very grateful for his comprehensive work that allows us to release an unredacted report to the public today. The report itself paints a troubling picture of the last decade and a half. Dr. German has reported that for years, government turned a blind eye to escalating and troubling money laundering in BC casinos despite abundant evidence that it was a serious problem. The first report was in 2011. Dr. German identifies that nobody said no. Nobody said, do not accept this money unless you know where it came from. 
He uncovered troubling uh, issues, for example, paragraph 640, a memo uh, uh, from uh, within BC Lottery Corporation related to how uh, alleged money launderers should be dealt with in casinos. He outlines that little was done to detect, pursue, or prosecute those engaged in money laundering, despite abundant evidence of a serious problem. He tells the stories of individuals that attempted to raise this issue to public attention at paragraph 509, the Investigations Department of the Gaming Policy Enforcement Branch, at paragraph 443, the story of Inspector Barry Baxter of the RCMP. There are many such stories in his report, and my only regret is that this report has to be released all at once because some of these stories need attention, and because of the volume of information here, almost invariably they won't get the attention they need. His report shows that this failure to take action allowed money laundering to proliferate in BC casinos. Now, it may have been uh, that there was justification for this by uh, the, the belief, the mistaken belief, that this activity amounts to a victimless crime. But that is, uh, unfortunately, a convenient lie. The truth of money laundering is much messier. At paragraph 574, Dr. German connects drugs and organized crime to the activities in BC casinos. There is little that is obvious about the nefarious tactics of money laundering. However, I believe that the only way to combat money laundering is to tackle it full on, to bring the public along in full view so that they understand the work and the consequences of failing to take action, as well as the cost of taking action. Dr. German's report is wide-ranging and deeply researched, and I'm incredibly grateful for the volume of work that he has done to produce this report for the people of British Columbia. I'd like to invite him up to discuss some of his key findings. Dr. German. Well, thank you very much, Minister. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you also for a challenging and uh, very interesting assignment. Uh, I have a few prepared remarks, and I believe copies have been provided or are available to you of my remarks, uh, which will take me about 10 minutes to read, so bear with me. And then uh, once the Minister has completed uh, his uh, presentation, uh, I'll be happy to answer uh, your questions. The gaming industry is incredibly important to all British Columbians as it accounts for approximately $1 billion in revenue to the province annually, which is designated for social services of various kinds. It also employs many thousands of citizens, provides entertainment for hundreds of thousands, and is an attraction to our many national and international visitors. Unfortunately, for many years, Lower Mainland casinos unwittingly served as laundromats for the proceeds of organized crime. This represented a collective system failure which brought the gaming industry into disrepute in the eyes of many British Columbians. The problem was known as far back as the Minister has pointed out as 2011. In that year, a report commissioned by the provincial government clearly stated that money laundering was occurring in casinos. In 2012, the head of investigations for the provincial regulator asked the question, who has $2,200,000 in $20 bills wrapped in elastic bands in $10,000 bundles. A year later, the same person stated, what I am suggesting is a possibility is that the gambler receives the cash money from loan sharks, who receives the money from what I believe is criminal sources, the gambler loses the cash money gambling at the casino and ultimately repays his debt in the foreign jurisdiction. He nailed it. But for the reasons discussed in the report, the system faltered. The problem grew over time until it outdistanced the ability of existing legislation, 
process, and structure to effectively manage it. The combined effect of years of denial, alternate hypotheses, and acrimony between entities made for a perfect storm which reached its apex in July 2015. The failure was not of one entity or person, but of the system. Fortunately, there are fixes which will prevent casinos from being used in the future as a tool for money laundering. I believe that the 48 recommendations in this report will accomplish precisely that goal, and I am gratified to hear that the province will be implementing those recommendations. So, who was doing this? Essentially, domestic and international organized crime, through intermediaries, was both loaning money to high rollers and hiring its own smurfs to gamble. What did they do? The gamblers, some of whom were dupes, turned small denomination bills into a more usable denomination or instrument. When did this occur? Loan sharking has been part of BC's casino industry since early days, but the high-end money laundering gained in intensity after 2010. Where did this occur? We know that the epicenter of activity was at the River Rock Casino Resort in Richmond, but no large casino was untouched. How much money was laundered? We can only guess at the true amount. Our best indicator is the thousands of suspicious currency transaction reports filed by casino operators through the years. The total well exceeds $100 million. Why did this occur? Because it could. The report outlines why it is critical for a society to deal with money laundering. It also describes the modern face of organized crime. Whether homegrown or international, it is not commodity specific. It engages in loose alliances and is often involved in both legal and illegal enterprises. It is the underbelly of the violence which we see on our streets and is also the detritus that permeates society and engages in corruption. We conducted approximately 160 interviews. The compliance officers at the casinos and regulators were very cooperative. I was assisted in my work by Mr. Jerome Malish, a forensic accountant and former RCMP commercial crime investigator, as well as by other specialists when required. I met with industry and government officials in the gaming industries of Nevada and Ontario. I view those two jurisdictions as best practices, and many of my recommendations reflect existing structure and process there. The RCMP, Municipal Police, and Canada's federal regulator, FinTrack, were also very helpful. Soon after beginning work, I recommended to the minister that there be a source of funds declaration by persons making large cash and bearer instrument buy-ins, similar to what had been recommended in a 2016 MNP report. I also recommended that the gaming regulator assign investigators to overnight and weekend shifts to be a visible presence. The minister accepted both recommendations, which allowed breathing room to develop permanent fixes, the focus of this report. The 48 recommendations are comprehensive and will usher in sweeping reforms to the casino industry. Although my work centered on the Lower Mainland, the recommendations will inevitably impact the entire casino industry within BC. Among the changes are a move to a standards-based industry, establishing the regulator as an independent crown corporation, creating a specialized gaming police force, moving responsibility for reporting suspicious transactions and anti-money laundering compliance to the casino operators, and moving regulatory oversight of anti-money laundering to the gaming regulator. In my opinion, partial implementation of the recommendations would be a mistake. There cannot be a weak link 
or history will repeat itself. The gaming industry in BC currently runs on a very prescriptive top-down model. Internationally, we are seeing a move to gaming systems based on overarching standards. These will guide the actions of the industry and serve two important purposes in BC. First, place greater responsibility on the shoulders of casino operators, and second, allow casino operators to develop realistic, commercially viable alternatives to cash, which has been a bugbear in the industry for many years. In keeping with the international standard, I have not recommended that there be limits on buy-ins. Instead, I emphasize the importance of knowing one's customer, which is the anti-money laundering standard in the financial industry. Gaming is highly regulated and the casino operators have very sophisticated surveillance systems. All the information which form the basis for news and television exposés through the years emanates from the reports provided by the casino operators. And yet, these reports may well have gone into a dark hole. We need a strong provincial regulator, which is not currently the situation. The gaming policy and enforcement branch is embedded within government, but also serves as a policy center. Its authorities are limited by the governing legislation, particularly with respect to BCLC and in the field of anti-money laundering. We need a standalone regulator which has a degree of independence from government. I am recommending that it become a Crown Corporation similar to the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario. We cannot expect municipal police and local RCMP detachments to deal with crime in casinos. In 2016, the province created an integrated police regulator team within CFSEU, the Organized Crime Unit referred to as JIGIT. Its mandate is to deal with money laundering arising from casinos and illegal off-site gaming. It has made positive inroads and I encourage its continued support. We need, however, a specialized gaming police force which has a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week presence and can deal with everything that occurs within the legal casino industry. It will be a source of support for municipal police and RCMP units, will become specialized in gaming offenses, and will be a first point of contact within the industry on most criminal matters. The independence of the Office of Constable cannot be overemphasized. As part of my terms of reference, I was invited to consider any overlap between what was occurring within the casinos and other sectors of the economy, as the Minister has already mentioned. What has been characterized as the Vancouver model refers to money which leaves Asia through underground networks being married up with hard cash in Canada, which is the proceeds of organized crime, primarily drug trafficking. We know that the same people who arranged for money to be laundered in casinos were buying real estate and were advising others on how to conduct real estate transactions. We know that real estate was being used for large illegal gaming houses. Real estate is often described as a modern driver of the British Columbia economy. As the Minister has indicated, examining the impact of homegrown and international organized crime on our real estate industry is of considerable importance. We know that organized crime is flexible and has already been giving casinos wide berth due to the scrutiny in recent months and years. What we don't know is where it went. What vehicle is currently being used to launder drug cash in Greater Vancouver? That is why I highlighted in my third interim recommendation that the province lobby the federal government for amendments to the money laundering legislation in order to cover commodities or businesses that we know are of interest to organized crime but are currently not subject to reporting legislation. This could include certain luxury goods, autos, boats, and horse racing.
I'm heartened that the Minister has already made these representations to Ottawa. I have also recommended that the province develop a licensing scheme for money service businesses, which are currently only the subject of federal registration. This would allow the province to deal with the underside of that business, including unregistered underground bankers, as was done with the scrap metal industry. And as the Minister has already stated, I would be remiss if I did not emphasize, as I have in the report, the key role played by investigative journalists in television and newspaper who doggedly pursued stories involving money laundering in the casinos over the past decade and particularly during the past year, and I've documented that in the report. A free press and strong, ethical, investigative journalism is critical to the rule of law. In conclusion, I truly believe that the move to a standards-based gaming system will grow the industry well beyond its present state and will overcome any temporary decline in revenue. Not only will it grow, but it will acquire a reputation for integrity and respectability. Thank you, and thank you, Minister. Thank you very much, Dr. German. Uh, certainly, uh, the Government of British Columbia appreciates your work putting this report together, uh, the countless hours that you spent, uh, and your team uh, working hard to bring us this report today. On behalf of the Government of British Columbia, I'm very uh, pleased to say that we've already begun to implement Dr. German's recommendations. I've already directed the process of immediately implementing more than a fifth of the recommendations and I will be working with my colleagues across government on implementing another 15 recommendations in the short term. We will also continue to work with Dr. German on implementation. The more complex recommendations will be examined as they impact an array of ministries and jurisdictions, and we will move forward as quickly as possible with the best ways to implement them. We will be establishing a governance body inside government to do difficult but important work of bringing all aspects of government together to take action on these crucial recommendations. In all cases, we will be moving as quickly as possible to slam the door shut on dirty money in BC casinos and cut off funding to organized crime in our province. It won't be easy to reverse a decade and a half of neglect, but we are not waiting to get started. The era of inaction and denial is over. Thank you again to Dr. German and his team for all of their work, and thank you all for joining us today. Now, what I'd like to do uh, is screen for you a video, and I just would like to provide a little bit of context. The video that I'm going to show you uh, is dated. Uh, the videos uh, date from uh, around uh, 2011 and 2012. Uh, they were collected by the Gaming Policy Enforcement Branch. Uh, the reason for the videos uh, being dated is uh, we can have confidence in sharing them with you that we're not compromising any law enforcement investigations. The videos that I uh, reviewed during my original briefing were law enforcement videos, and unfortunately we can't share them with you at this time. Uh, but I did want you to have a sense of why it was so strange uh, that it took so long to take action, given just the visuals of uh, what this crime looks like uh, in action. So uh, I don't know if our technical staff are ready to roll uh, the videos. Uh, I don't believe they've been posted online yet. So there are four separate transactions. You see individuals uh, arriving at the casino. It's been sped up so that we can... Uh, They enter the door of a neighboring facility and then walk back out and then enter the casino.
walk through the casino to the cash cage. And then the bag is set on the counter in the cash cage. The attendant goes through the cash and unloads the bag of $20 bills bundled in uh, $10,000. Uh, in uh, These are probably $20,000 bundles. Um, and uh, begins the long process of counting money. This is the second transaction. This is in a private cash cage. You see the individual unloading cash from the bag on the, uh, on the chair there. And this is an overhead view of that same transaction. You see the cash beginning to stack up on the counter. Each of those uh, smaller bundles would be $10,000. So you can see that this transaction in excess of $100,000. This individual, this is the third transaction, bringing a bag to the cash cage. The cashier then closes the cash and begins the process of counting the money, which comes in a red shopping bag. Those are uh, bundles of $20 bills. This transaction in excess of $250,000 in $20 bills. And this is the fourth transaction. The individual showing up with two large bags filled with cash at the cash cage and beginning the long process of unloading the cash to the teller. This transaction uh, likely in excess of $300,000 and possibly as much as $500,000. That's just the first bag of cash. The individual is now unloading the second bag of cash. There's an overhead view of that same transaction. Now, this, uh, the second video um, that, uh, that we'll put up, uh, we're okay. Uh, this is a single transaction, um, and you'll see the uh, cash cage teller um, running cash through the uh, counting machine. Uh, the video runs for about 13 minutes of, uh, of counting uh, $20 bills. Pardon me? Were these transactions reported? Uh, to, to our knowledge, yes, yes all these, these transactions were reported. That's why GPEB uh, requested the video and, uh, and retained the video. Um, so just while that's running, um, I'd be happy to take any questions. I know Dr. German uh, would be happy to take any questions as well. You know, well, BCLC is not the regulator, and therein lies part of the... Uh, the, the well, no, we do have a regulator in this province, and that's the Gaming Policy and Enforcement Branch. Um, unfortunately, as I indicated in my remarks, it, it doesn't have the necessary legislation support and independence that it requires in order to be an effective regulator. As a result, in many ways, BCLC became a quasi-regulator of its own uh, contractors. And so that's not a good situation for BCLC to be in, nor for uh, the regulator itself. So I'm saying we should have an independent regulator um, and uh, similar to the model that you see in Ontario. Uh, just one thing, uh, as we are doing the Q&A, we do have some questions over the phone as well. So if you could indicate you have a question, my colleague Jared can bring the microphone to you, and then we can do it that way. So the next question, uh, um, are we okay, Minister, to take questions now, or do you want to run the, the video through? 
Uh, we'll take questions. It's okay. Like a 13 minute video. Oh, maybe. all right. So, <laughs> thank you. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just the comment. next question, Bob Mack. Oh, yes. Maybe I'll just continue, comment please. for one second. As you're watching the video, as the minister has pointed out, you'll notice the uh, strapping or the elastic bands around a lot of the uh, the wads of 20s and so forth. That is not how the bank issues uh, blocks of cash. Uh, banks have bank strapping. It's very clear when you're receiving something from the bank, a stack of 20s, what it looks like. Uh, this uh, this is all homespun uh, elastic bands and so forth. Uh, next question, Bob. Hey, Bob Mack in the Breakthrough News. Uh, one question for David, one for Peter. First for David. Um, how do you have confidence in keeping Jim Lightbody as CEO of BC Lottery Corporation and John Mazur as head of the Gambling Policy Enforcement Branch when they knew or ought to have known what was going on but didn't do enough? Um, so there were multiple reports uh, that went to government. Uh, the 2011 report uh, was authored, authored by the BC Lottery Corporation that said that there was money laundering taking place in casino. I assign responsibility in this matter to the previous administration. They had many opportunities to take the action that we took uh, in the first months of our government to say that unless you can prove the source of the cash you're bringing into the casino, it's not welcome. Uh, they also had uh, the MNP report, which I released on coming into office, that had uh, basically exactly that recommendation in it, in it as well. So uh, it's not like people weren't aware. Uh, it's not like government wasn't notified. Uh, the, uh, in my opinion, uh, the responsibility is with government to provide the direction and, uh, and the uh, role of the Crown is to implement that policy. Uh, even though in 2007, the previous BCLC scandal, Vic Polishchuk was the CEO of BCLC, it was about lottery retailers winning prizes at their own lottery retail outlets, and he was fired. Why is this different? This seems to be a much more serious, especially when it comes to the drugs and organized crime. Lives are being lost in this case. Uh, so uh, certainly it was uh, BCLC that was the author of the earliest report uh, that uh, Dr. German uh, raised to our attention about this issue. Uh, they were the ones who were bringing uh, this issue forward to government in part. Uh, as well as uh, members of the Gaming Policy Enforcement Branch. Uh, and interestingly, uh, in the report, it notes that the uh, River Rock Casino uh, was uh, the organization that first said uh, that we won't accept cash uh, from uh, known loan sharks that are bringing in uh, this kind of cash. Uh, and so, it, uh, in my opinion, uh, the responsibility lies with government, and the government has been removed. Okay, one for, for Peter. Uh, I noticed the, the long, long list of people that were interviewed for this report includes Rich Coleman. A former minister in charge of uh, both BCLC and GPEB. It doesn't include the list, uh, in the list, it doesn't include uh, Mike DeYoung, who was. You have been added to the question and answer queue. Santa Mansalopoulos, who was the previous deputy minister before Mr. Uh, before, uh, uh, Mr. Fife. Um, wh why sure, were they I not included? Uh, did they cooperate at all or decide not to cooperate? No. Thanks for the question, Bob. First of all, I think it has to be made very clear, this is not a fault-finding report. It's not a Royal Commission finding fault, trying to say who did what uh, and who should be you know, punished or whatever. We're looking forward, and uh, this is a future, uh, it's about structure and process. That's what this report is all about. However, before you can move ahead, you have to realize what the problem is. And so what I've attempted to do is document the issues through the years. Um, and. Uh, uh, form that basis for change, and hopefully uh, that is what the report has uh, has accomplished uh, in, in view of the fact that the minister has accepted the recommendations. Now, uh, more specifically, um, there is reference in the report uh, to um, the RCMP uh, and uh, 
some news reports back in 2011 and the minister's Mr. Coleman's reaction to the uh, the news reports and the comments by the RCMP. So I thought, in fairness to Mr. Coleman, I should speak to him about that, and I did, and he was very cooperative. And uh, I've documented that in the report. Um, but as far as the Ministry of Finance and other ministries that have had responsibility for GPEP through the years, uh, again, it's not a fault-finding exercise on my part, and I didn't have to go there for purposes of uh, looking at structure and process. Thank you. Next question, CBC. Greg? Hi, Greg Rasmussen from CBC. Uh, uh, Peter, the, the, it's a two-parter. I'll get a response from each of you. But the, you talk about the, the money, uh, some of the dirty money now getting being pushed away from the casinos and elsewhere, and you also mentioned real estate and uh, luxury goods as, as two possible areas to look at for future. So could you talk about your specific concerns about those areas and what government should be looking at? Right. So actually, uh, there's a really excellent uh, consultation paper online with the Federal Ministry of Finance. Uh, Canada is looking at amendments to the proceeds of crime legislation dealing with precisely these various issues. And the minister uh, spoke to uh, the House Committee on Finance, Standing Committee on Finance, and expressed, you know, BC's concerns and support for some of the changes that are being recommended. We know uh, that organized crime enjoys luxury goods. I mean, you you do crime in order to make money and to enjoy that money. And uh, um, in there are areas of our economy that are not regulated. Banks are regulated. Um, Credit uh, unions are regulated, casinos are regulated, but then you have other areas, sectors of the economy that are simply not regulated federally. And uh, so as the minister has pointed out previously, it's like whack-a-mole. Uh, you deal with the casinos, where are people going? They could well be going to another sector of the economy. And so you want to tend to look at those areas that have pr traditionally been of interest to organized crime. And those are the areas that I've highlighted. Getting into real estate. I mean, you mentioned lawyers, for example, and trust funds. Is that or uh, trust accounts? Is that well? I do comment on on lawyers. Uh, as we know, lawyers are not subject to uh, federal reporting, uh, but they do have an internal reporting system within the law society here. Um, so, lawyers is a, is a pretty unique case. But the bottom line here is, you're looking at any any sector of the economy, be it real estate, be it uh, automobiles, be it high-end luxury goods, where people can purchase with cash. And if they can purchase with cash, large amounts of cash and bearer instruments, you may want to take a close look at that particular industry. Um, so with respect to real estate, lawyers um, you know, uh, do, do hold money uh, in trust, um, but they do, like I say, have, have uh, certain rules that govern their conduct. Uh, but there are certainly a number of sectors of the economy where there is no regulation and people can essentially walk right in with cash and purchase, for example, a car, a boat, and, and so forth. I just wonder if the minister could comment on looking ahead, what, what, what you're looking at in terms of cash into real estate and further regulation as well. So uh, uh, during the pendency of the report, uh, the issue uh, was raised about the use of builder's liens, for example, uh, as a way for an individual that uh, owns a home to obtain cash uh, and then the, the uh, individual alleged to be involved in organized crime uh, uh, gives the cash in exchange for a builder's lien being registered in their name uh, against the property. Um, and uh, it was not within the subject matter of Dr. German's report. There were other uh, connections uh, that Dr. German identified that caused him to raise the issue of real estate in his review, um, including uh, the correlation between uh, people's listed occupations uh, when completing a source of funds uh, documentation for FinTrack, 
that indicated they were involved in the real estate sector and also bringing in large amounts of cash to the casino. Um, and that is why uh, I asked Dr. German to uh, uh, examine other areas of the economy and also why uh, we are now looking at a second phase of this uh, to deal with uh, issues around real estate. Um, one of the troubling things uh, about being uh, in the role that I'm in is finding out about issues uh, instead of proactively through our regulators and oversight bodies, uh, finding out about issues related to money laundering through the work of journalists. Um, and so we have to uh, change that dynamic. Government has to be able to detect, uh, prevent, and prosecute uh, activities like money laundering. We need the capacity to do that. And uh, that's why we're looking at a second phase that would deal with real estate. Uh, today's uh, event, though, and today's report uh, focuses on the casino sector specifically. Thank you very much. And could I remind the media to just ask one question and one follow-up, please? And we'll take the next question over the phones. Go ahead, please. Sorry, it's Shane Woodford here. Are you talking to, to me, or is there their queue? Uh, yes. Shane, it sounds like you're on. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry about the confusion there. Uh, first question to, to you, uh, uh, Minister Eby. Uh, my understanding is John Mazur, who's the ADM of Gaming Policy, has been let go within uh, within your ministry. Uh, considering the this report and, and some of the issues related to it, is that a direct consequence of some of the concerns here or no? Uh, so it, it cut out a little bit, uh, Shane, but it, uh, you were asking about John Mazur, is that right? That's right. I understand he's been let go. That's a, that's a personal matter uh, within the public service, and I'm, I'm not able to comment on that. All right. Uh, as well, uh, maybe this one for Dr. German. Uh, as far as online gaming and a move in that direction, any concerns there? Yeah, online gaming uh, was not part of the terms of reference of, of this particular uh, report. Um, and uh, as we know, there, you know, it is... Uh, you can uh, there is there is gaming allowed uh, through BCLC uh, in this province, but in in terms of the gray market of gaming or online gaming or sports betting, those are not areas covered in this report. And if I may just uh, uh, hopefully that answers that, Shane. If I may just also mention in response to the earlier question about the economy and so forth, you may also want to take a look at the chapter that I've termed case closed. There's quite a quotation in there from the RCMP, which was very helpful. And they also comment on real estate and how the illegal money service uh, business uh, folk were actually counseling um, uh, individuals on how to make real estate transactions. So it's worth looking at. Thank, Thank you. you. Next question, Economist. Dr. German and Mr. Eby, what makes this uniquely a bank? You have been removed from the question and answer queue. About it being a Vancouver model, what is happening here that is not happening in other jurisdictions? And I have a quick follow-up in regards to lawyers as well. Well, certainly I can't comment on other jurisdictions, what is taking place, but, um, you know, it, it probably is this collection of issues that has arisen over time, as, I, as I've tried to describe both in my remarks and in the report, um, and a system that has failed. Um, I, I'll give you an example. Um, when I was in uh, Nevada, I met with the enforcement branch, which is a, essentially a police department within the, Nani uh, the, Nanaimo, the uh, Nevada Gaming Control Board, and I asked the question of, uh, of a police, uh, one of the police officers. I said, if someone came in to a teller cage at a casino in Las Vegas with a box full of $20 bills, uh, what would happen? And he said, well, that wouldn't occur. And I said, okay. Hypothetically, what would occur? 
And he said, we, our expectation would be that the casino would be calling the on-call enforcement officer right away, and we'd be down there to have a talk to that patron. So, you know, uh, my sense is, uh, you're right, what has been happening here is fairly unique. I, I attribute it to a, a system breakdown and not having the, the right mechanisms, structure and process in place. And I'm hoping that these recommendations will correct that. Thank you. The next question, uh, follow-up, okay. You mentioned that lawyers here. You mentioned that lawyers here are an outlier in terms of common law jurisdictions compared to Britain. Um, do you trust the law society to make the changes that you think should be made, or do you think that there should be perhaps more regulations on lawyers reporting to FinTrack? Yeah. Uh, I know both the minister and I have recently, and I can't speak for the minister, but uh, I am, I guess, uh, we've both uh, addressed the ventures of the law society recently on this very issue at their request. Uh, they're very engaged and very concerned um, that uh, the 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 profession not be held in disrepute. So in BC, we've probably got among the strongest regulation of lawyers that exists in Canada. The, the downside, however, is that there is still no federal reporting to the regulator, to FinTrack, and that is essentially because of the solicitor-client privilege issue and uh, cases, the Federation case, which is fairly well known. Um, so at the end of the day, the federal regulator does not have the benefit of information from lawyers, although um, it, it does appear as if the law society is, is really on top of this issue uh, within their own uh, jurisdiction. Thank you. Next question, CTV. Hi, John Weber from CTV. This is for Ms. Uh, Dr. German. Uh, thanks. Uh, I guess you mentioned a lot of the work that investigative reporters played in this, and one of the key ways that they accessed information was through suspicious cash transaction reports, um, which I think you acknowledge in the report. Um, why do you have as recommendation number 11 that those suspicious cash transaction reports be eliminated? Oh, no, uh, it, it's all terminology. You'll have to uh, read through it. So uh, suspicious transaction reports, STRs, are required by federal legislation. They go to FinTrack. However, what has happened over time is that there's a multiplicity of reports. There's a duplication of reports. So SCTs uh, is different from STRs, and unfortunately, you'd have to sort of read through it, and I've tried to describe it in some detail. The bottom line is casinos are required to submit suspicious transaction reports to FinTrack. But right now, or I shouldn't say casinos are, the, the entity with conduct and management responsibility must submit STRs to FinTrack. That it currently is BCLC. So the casino service providers uh, prepare a document, and they prepare actually two documents, one that they send to BCLC, one that they send to the regulator. These are actually different documents dealing with the same transaction. Then BCLC takes a look at the one that they receive and decide whether to forward it on to the federal regulator. I'm saying cut that out. The casino has the information. That's where the investigative journalists got the information. They are right there at, at the pointy end of the stick, so to speak, and they should submit directly to the federal regulator. Not only should they submit directly, but they should be held accountable for uh, submitting directly. And that is essentially what takes place in Ontario. And BCLC can always provide additional information if it wishes, if it has a broader perspective. Um, but yeah, it's a complex uh, reporting scheme, and what I'm really trying to do is simplify it. So in, in your proposed regulator, how transparent would it be and how accessible would reports of this type be under your new system? Right. So in terms of accessibility, I, um, you know, 
we have our privacy legislation, uh, so uh, I, I'm assuming that uh, you know nothing will change in that respect. In, in, you will still be able to make your FOI requests and, and so forth, but there are always privacy considerations when you're dealing with individuals and financial information and so forth. So I, I'm not seeing much of a change in that respect. All I'm saying is we're simplifying the process and making sure that the right people are reporting so that we get very accurate and timely information to the regulator. Thank you. We'll go over to the phone lines now. Next question, Lisa Yudza, CKNW. Hi, Minister. I just wanted to pop back for one second to you, uh, to Shane's question about John Majeur and you saying it's an internal matter, but I see in point 20 here, his position is specifically mentioned. You still, is it the health? I'm just wondering if you could talk about what is being looked at internally. Uh, so, uh, Ms. Rajur is, is no longer with the public service. It's a personnel matter, and I can't comment on it, but I will uh, say that it, it's not related to the, to the German report. Thank you. Next question, Marcella, News 1130. Um, question for both of you, if, if you can answer this. It's been months since you flagged these concerns, and now you're telling me that you're going to go into real estate and possibly luxury um, items, things like that. What evidence do you have or what concerns do you have that the criminals doing this aren't just going to hide their money and sell their property and get out of town? So uh, um, a couple uh, responses. First of all, uh, the issue of money laundering, as Dr. German has outlined, is a, is a tricky one in that when you crack down on one area, it's like a waterbed, when you push on it, it moves to another area of the economy. Uh, and so uh, that uh, we gotta, we've got to follow that wave and where it goes, and we have to be aggressive about it and pursue it. So there are very clear indications uh, that we need to be looking at real estate, uh, luxury automobiles, and horse racing based on Dr. German's findings and recommendations. And so we're taking those very seriously. That's where we'll be heading. Uh, I don't feel badly about the idea that we would uh, chase criminals out of British Columbia. And just to follow up, Minister, you said that this is not a victimless crime. What do you say to British Columbians who think it isn't a victimless crime? It's just people cleaning dirty money. Um, the connections that Dr. German has drawn uh, to uh, issues of illicit drug trafficking, including fentanyl, uh, I think uh, should be sufficient and I hope would be sufficient for most British Columbians to understand the seriousness of uh, the fact that British Columbia and Vancouver specifically became internationally known as a uh, transnational hub for organized crime, laundering the proceeds of precursors for these drugs uh, to, uh, to launder their proceeds of crime through our communities. Um, the fact that we uh, played not just a local role, but an international role in this uh, should be troubling to everybody. Uh, and, uh, and it's certainly my experience that when people become aware of that connection, that they also understand very clearly why we've had to take the action that we have uh, despite the impact to the provincial treasury potentially, as well as uh, the cost of the recommendations uh, being put forward by Dr. German. Thank you. Next question, Singtao. Uh, uh, Eric Chen from Ming Pao Daily News. Uh, uh, the, the video you just showed us, uh, it looks really, really suspicious, but how can we tell that it is uh, some drug dealers uh, laundering their, their, their drug monies or some restaurant owners who are dealing with a lot of cash and trying to evade tax or yeah. some restaurant owners who, who are dealing with a lot of uh, cash right. uh, just like to gamble? All, all of which is possible. Um, and that has formed the basis for a lot of these alternate hypotheses and excuses and denials that we've heard through the years. There have been a whole lot of different explanations 
or what this could be other than it is the proceeds of criminal activity. Again, I would refer you to the chapter that, uh, that quotes from the RCMP. The RCMP is currently involved in one very significant investigation and CFSEU is involved in another significant investigation. I did not trample over their territory uh, for obvious reasons, uh, evidence and so forth. However, I did go to the RCMP and ask some very specific questions because that issue of what is the predicate crime, where does this money come from, has been one that keeps popping up and has almost been used as an excuse through the years. And the RCMP is very clear from its uh, investigations, and you can read that yourself in, in the report, that uh, most of what they've uncovered has come from uh, drug trafficking. And, uh, and as the minister has indicated, the tentacles are not just uh, local drug trafficking, but potentially international drug trafficking and laundering that money. And the other thing I would just add, and almost in response to the previous question, is that virtually all crime is conducted for purposes of profit. It's profit-oriented. There are very few crimes that aren't. Sexual offenses tend not to be, and, and so forth. So you do have those uh, crimes that are not profit-driven, but the great majority are, which is another reason why you want to deal with money laundering, because that is really um, the, the goal. It is also potentially the Achilles' heel of organized crime. If you go after the money, uh, you can potentially um, dismantle a criminal organization. Uh, a follow-up question. Uh, you, uh, you identify two sources of money, uh, uh, possible uh, money laundry. Uh, one is uh, capital outflow, say, from China, uh, and the other is, uh, of course, uh, the criminal process. Uh, do we know how much uh, the, the casino uh, uh, laundry activities, how much is it from uh, capital outflow and how much is it from uh, right. criminal uh, post-it? Yeah. Again, my intent uh, with the report and uh, the terms of reference are clear is to be forward-looking in terms of change, structure, and process. So um, if one were to do a forensic accounting, you'd probably need a team of accountants and, and quite a long time to try to diagnose uh, the, the thousands of transactions that have been reported over the years, because literally there have been thousands of suspicious transactions reported by the casinos over the last decade. And uh, to determine the origin of cash in each one, would it, it's virtually an impossible mission. So you have to use other uh, uh, criteria. You either have to know the individuals that were involved, uh, you have to draw connections and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so there, there's definitely um, money from the underground economy and, and other sources that's mixed in there. Um, it is also why, in my remarks, I said that uh, the dollar count is in excess of $100 million, but you will see uh, much higher figures elsewhere. Um, I just don't want to over, uh, I don't want to in any way exaggerate uh, the dollar amount, but you just have to really take a look at the suspicious transactions and multiply them, and, and, uh, and you will come up with a, a pretty... Uh, extraordinary figure. And the last three questions, CBC Yvette, Frank uh, Opie Regional, and the last question, Vancouver Sun. Um, so, uh, Yvette, please go ahead. Hello, my name is Yvette Brandon from CBC Vancouver. I'm curious, I realize, uh, Mr. German, that it wasn't your intent to find fault and that wasn't the aim of this report, but I'm wondering why, and also if you could speak a bit to the apathy, because we've been hearing uh, reports about this. I mean, we have public reports from FinTrack raising many of these issues back in 2008. Why did it take so long? 
I can address the first uh, piece because it was my direction to Dr. German about uh, about uh, fault finding and uh, and his terms of reference. Um, there is a mechanism in British Columbia that allows government to do uh, an investigation uh, uh, similar to the review that Dr. German did it's under the Public Inquiry Act. Um, it is a, you can do a, essentially appoint a, a commissioner and it's a desktop uh, type inquiry. There's not testimony and so on. Uh, and you can develop a written report. The concern that I had about uh, proceeding down that route, uh, the, the benefit of it is that you can find fault. Uh, people are notified if they're at risk of having a finding made that they violated uh, a law or a policy, whether criminal or civil or administrative. Uh, they're provided notice. They have the opportunity to retain counsel. If they're public servants, uh, then uh, the, it is uh, possible that the public would be paying for their lawyers. Uh, and what we were looking at, uh, in my opinion, was an exercise that would last uh, probably a couple of years uh, and would cost a significant amount of money. And on the other hand, uh, we had a process uh, like the one that Dr. German went through uh, on the terms of reference that we delivered to him uh, that was able to provide us with these very detailed findings and recommendations within a 10-month period, uh, within a short period of time so we could take action as quickly as possible. And uh, we had uh, cooperation from everybody that Dr. German approached to get uh, information so we didn't have to flip into that inquiry mode where we could compel information and also where there are protections for people uh, where there's fault finding. Uh, the downside of trying to move quickly on this is the loss of some accountability, the loss of the ability to say this person violated this policy, this person violated that law. The upside of it is, uh, and from British Columbians' perspectives, uh, that we can act quickly to get uh, dirty money out of our casinos and then move on to the next piece uh, because uh, we can't let organized crime get ahead of us. Thank you. Frank? Frank, you was on the original. I'm asking uh, either of uh, you about, can you elaborate a little more on trans, uh, transnational transactions? Uh, what are the major countries where these uh, organized crimes are based and are operated? Then how does the money flow between the countries or among the countries? So, um, Every country has organized crime. We have homegrown organized crime. Uh, there is also international uh, organized crime. Um, we are, in many ways, uh, a city. We, we look to Asia. So um, uh, Asian organized crime has its tentacles uh, in Vancouver, but not exclusively Asian organized crime. Uh, there's organized crime from various parts of the world that has a, a bit of a seat here. Um, Organized crime, and I've tried to explain it in the report, is not what you might have read in your criminology textbooks uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, these days, it is very much um, uh, a moving target. Um, you have loose alliances between organized crime organizations. We've seen that in the Lower Mainland right at the street level, but you certainly see that internationally. And where it becomes very complicated is when organized crime groups actually are involved in both legal and illegal enterprises at the same time. So, uh, you know, definitely there's an Asian organized crime component. I've talked about that uh, in the report, uh, but it's not exclusively that. And, and, you know, picking up on what the minister said, the, at the end of the day, if we're talking about drug trafficking proceeds uh, being laundered, uh, who is buying the drugs, right? So it's actually people in this province that are buying the drugs or in whatever other province, state, or country uh, where the money um, comes from. Uh, so uh, it's easy to point the finger uh, elsewhere, abroad, and so forth, but we also have to realize that uh, drug uh, sales uh, occur, illegal drug sales, right here, 
and that money gets laundered right here. Thank you. Next question, uh, Vancouver Sun. Hi there, it's Gordon from the Vancouver Sun. Uh, maybe a question for Mr. German. Um, oh, uh, here we go. Um, in, in some of the, the files I read, you know, you mentioned about that there's a higher number uh, about suspicious transactions. I, I think between 2010-11 to 15-16, some $650 million, two-thirds of which, when I calculated, were $20 bills. I mean, you mentioned a figure of in excess of $100 million. I mean, could, could this be a much higher figure, you know? Yeah, certainly it could be a much higher figure. And uh, it, get, it gets back to the issue. We didn't do a forensic accounting to determine the actual origins, even if you could. Um, so I'm comfortable saying, you know, in excess of $100 million. That's a pretty large figure uh, by my estimation. But, yes, it, it, it could be much higher. And the other thing that I point out in the executive uh, summary to the report is that $20 bills is the currency of drug trafficking. Now, I realize we all probably have a $20 bill in our back pocket, so it doesn't mean all $20 bills are necessarily you know, uh, illegally sourced, but that is the, the well-known standard, and the courts have virtually across the country accepted that. So when you see you know, wads of $20 bills with elastics, uh, elastics binding them together, um, you tend to know where they're coming from. I can ask one follow-up question. You mentioned a bit about, you know, that's a the problem in terms of proceeds, you know, money laundering. You got to prove it's proceeds of crime. In your research, are there are there you know other jurisdictions that have, you know, different slightly different laws or practices or you know or policing methods that helps them, you know, actually prosecute these these, these types of crime? Because I mean that's one of the things we haven't seen very much of here. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, uh, very much so. Uh, I mean, uh, every country is expected under FATF uh, guidelines to have money laundering and proceeds of crime legislation in place, and you have some uh, countries where they are very vigorous in enforcing money laundering laws, and you have other jurisdictions where they simply aren't, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, you have not seen very many uh, proceeds of crime or money laundering prosecutions in this province in the last number of years. Uh, they tend to be appended to other charges like drug charges. Uh, there are a couple of reasons that come to mind immediately. One is we now have a civil forfeiture scheme in this province, so a lot of uh, the proceeds of crime is going the civil route for various different reasons. Uh, there was also the elimination of the RCMP uh, Proceeds of Crime Unit in 2013 uh, right across the country. And uh, in my personal opinion, that uh, has really created a problem. Uh, they are now getting back into that business. But I've actually documented that in the report as well. You'll see that. Thank you. And the very last question goes to Star Metro. Uh, hi, a question for Minister Eby. Uh, you said that you thought the previous government had turned a blind eye to this problem and suspected it was... Uh, related to the lack of understanding of the consequences of crime. Could you say why you believe that and, and beyond simply not having taken action, but was there any more responsibility than that? Sure. Um, when I arrived on the job, there was a report uh, that I was made aware of prepared by a group called MNP, which is a third-party business firm. It's discussed in Dr. German's report. It was prepared in 2016. It detailed uh, in some considerable detail uh, serious allegations of uh, of uh, laundering money in BC casinos. The report was a shock to me, even though I had been the critic for gaming uh, for a number of years previously. I was not aware of the existence of the report, was not aware the government was aware that money laundering was a problem. I thought that that 
uh, was the first notice the government had had that there was a serious problem. In fact, Dr. German has unveiled in his report that there was a detailed report prepared for government by BCLC in 2011 that detailed that this was a serious problem. Um, so uh, the report uh, goes through in some detail the multiple red flags, the multiple uh, numbers of individuals within law enforcement, within the regulator, uh, who, uh, who said, we have a problem here we need to deal with. And, uh, and yet, uh, uh, in, to borrow a phrase from uh, one of Dr. German's chapters, uh, nobody said no. Uh, nobody said no to taking this money. And, uh, and that uh, is inexcusable. Thank you, man. I just wanted to add, uh, a caveat to, or not a caveat, but a little additional information to the Vancouver Sun question. Um, if we speak specifically about money laundering in the casino industry, um, the United States has been very aggressive in a couple of jurisdictions. Nevada is one. Uh, there are a couple of cases that are uh, described in the public literature, Sands case and so forth, where you see federal regulators moving in and taking action, uh, and then the state regulator uh, tops up that action. Um, so uh, there are definitely examples there, and I would also point out with regard to proceeds of crime that uh, you see a different approach in Ontario where they have both still fairly vigorous criminal enforcement of proceeds of crime at the municipal and provincial level as well as civil forfeiture. So again, a couple other things. Thank you, and thank you all for participating. If you still have thank questions, so I do have uh, the media relations number for the ministry, and they'll be able to help you. Thank you all.